0: you're listening to audio from trinity west seattle for other resources more information about this sermon series or to connect with us visit our website www.trinityws.com my name is grace and i will be reading from psalm 104 bless The Lord, O my soul, the Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with, with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down. The place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the fields. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted, In them the birds build their nests, and the stork has her home in the fir trees, The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He makes the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night. When the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living with things both small and great. There go the ships and the Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the Glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
0: You may be seated.
1: Amen. Amen. Yeah, let's, uh, let's thank Grace. That was quite an accomplishment. It's not the shortest psalm in the Bible. Let's uh, pray as we prepare our hearts for this. God, you are great. You are so great. As Psalm 145 says, your greatness is unsearchable. It's beyond what we can comprehend, but we pray that, God, we would start to comprehend it just a little bit today as we study this psalm. Would you break through those parts of our hearts that are hardened to you as our creator, to you as our sustainer, to you as the one who gives life? Would you, would you break through And help us to embrace who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. And in 2019, my family and I, we did a a road trip down the Pacific Coast Highway. And we were going to meet some extended family down in Jedediah National Forest down in Northern California. We had an amazing time down there. And on the way... We're driving through this gorgeous coastline, right? And there's just a thousand different places you can stop and enjoy. And we, we pull over to see these tide pools that are there. And I don't know about you, but I love tide pools. I turn into a little kid when I get around tide pools. There's just these like these little universes that exist and you don't even know about all the the life and all the things that are going on there. And and so we're enjoying these tide pools and we're looking and and this water starts slamming against the rocks that, where we're standing, and, uh, and we're still having fun. We're not too worried about it. I mean, the, the, the waves are getting a little bit bigger and they're coming inland a little bit further towards where we are, and, and Eli looks at it and he's like, Dad, look at those waves. Look at how huge they are, and, and of course, you know, he wants to get closer right? You know where this is going, don't you? Uh, and and he goes over to the edge of the rocks where these waves are crashing, right? And he starts taunting the waves. He starts yelling at them and telling them, like, is that all you got? You know, the waves are kind of small while he's there. And then he does the dab. I don't know if you guys know about the dab. I didn't know about the dab. Uh, I guess. So my my daughters have told me, Dad, the dab was never cool. Just, you need to know that the dab was never cool. Okay. (laughs) So he does the dab, and and he does it right as this giant wave just crashes over and drenches him. I mean, (laughs) pouring water all over him. And fortunately, I happened to have my brand new film camera with me, and I was taking a lot of photos, and I got one, so... There you go. That's it. I mean, he was soaking wet. Um, and fortunately, I'll also say we were safe on the land. I mean, this would not have been funny if, we, if Eli were in the water at that time, because why? The ocean is not a safe place, right? He could have gotten really badly hurt. And, and this is the essence of the natural world that we live in. There's a lot of beauty. There's a lot of wonder, and yet the natural world also humbles us. It shows us how small we are, how fragile we are. And when we consider the God who made it, our hearts begin to get stirred up, as they should. We begin to recognize that we should be standing in awe of the God who made this, and and not just what he has made, but how great He is because He is greater beyond what He has made. And this psalm today, it actually teaches us, it helps us to not only see that the awe of the natural world, uh, or to to stand in awe of the natural world, but it leads us to standing in awe of the one who made it. And so the psalm, it, it begins and it ends by calling the singer's soul or the word soul really means whole being, to bless the Lord. Did you notice that? It begins and ends with that same phrase, bless the Lord, O my soul. And and you might be familiar with that phrase. It it literally means to praise the Lord. It shows up in a number of psalms, and it shows up in the psalm immediately right before it. You You might have noticed that in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. That psalm begins and ends in the same way and so you can kind of think of psalm 104 as a sequel to psalm 103 and psalm 103 kind of sets the stage for the next number of psalms that follow it psalm 104 through psalm 106 recall the storyline of israel from creation all the way down to exile so another way to look at this conglomeration of psalms psalm 103 to 106 they are kind of like a concept album. They're all songs, right? They're one continuation of one continuous story. And as you read through these Psalms, you're, you're reminded of these major events in Israel's history and Yahweh's faithfulness to them throughout all of it. And this week we're beginning with the first of all of those and looking specifically at creation. In fact, If you go back to page 1 of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, there are tons of parallels between this psalm and Genesis 1. In fact, some people have gone so far as to map out these parallels verse by verse. But what's important for us to understand as we go through it today is that while we take for granted that the Judeo-Christian worldview says God made everything, we kind of recognize that even in our society we need to remember that Israel's creation narrative was completely different from all the other nations that surrounded them. And the reason why this is important to remember is because the same is true for us. As we recognize the the creation story in scripture and as we believe and we know the God who made it, it's going to be different from all the creation narratives that are going on all around us. See, when Israel's creation narrative came about, it showed that That um, rather than being created by many other gods, whom you had to really appease in order to earn their favor, instead, Israel's narrative said everything was created by one God. And that God was not the kind of God that you have to appease in order to earn their favor. No, he was benevolent by his very nature. In fact, he actually created everything in order for it to flourish. And so rather than being this you know, curmudgeonly, fickle deity who just plunges the world into chaos when he doesn't get his way, no, this God the Bible reveals to us is a God whose blessings are really only inhibited by human evil. You might have noticed that the psalm ends with this kind of strange imprecation where it says God curse the evil and the wicked. The reason why is because it's tainted and broken the good creation of this good creator. Okay, so let's dig into this and we're going to see both what the psalm is telling us, but we're going to also investigate the ways that this creation narrative is different from the way that we are used to hearing about creation and, and how it came to be. So we're looking at the question, remember the first question, What is the psalmist saying? And point number one, the psalmist is saying, God is our great creator. We saw this in verses 1 through 9. I'm not going to read all of them, but just to give you a flavor. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed in splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a garment. Stretching out the heavens like a tent, he lays the beams of his chambers on the water's He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. God, this is telling us, it goes on to tell us, sorry, that he is our great creator. He set the earth on its foundations. That This God is a God who is wise. He's ordered things out of chaos. But this is also a God who is powerful. There is no limit to what he is capable of. But yet this is also a God who is distinct from his creation, right? And yet he's intimately involved in it. And here we're given a picture of the greatness of God. The psalmist is trying, he's he's grasping at straws to try and just give us a picture, somehow illustrate how great this God is. And he does the only thing he knows how to do, and that is to compare God in some sense to something that's the greatest thing that he could possibly imagine. Something that is beyond what he could fathom the greatness of. So he begins with the waters or the oceans and the heavens or the skies and the brightness of the light of the sun and the hugeness of these clouds. These, These things are all things that the ancient mind could not possibly imagine. And yet he says all of these things, they're just... Playthings for God. It's like they're they're tiny, they're they're insignificant compared to the God who wields them. They're like His tent, the psalmist says. They're like His chariot or His wings. And y'all are like, what? What are we talking about? What's with the tent and the chariot and all this? It's it, it's like His house and His car and His I don't know His private jet, right? His His tent, His chariot, and His wings. And the only way for us to wrap our minds around the greatness of anything is to compare it to something that is greater. And the only way to wrap our minds around the greatness of God is to compare him to something that is the greatest thing that we can possibly imagine and then remember that he's even greater than that. And so these things, the sun, the sky, the clouds, would all have been beyond comprehension for someone who would have sang this psalm, you know, two, three thousand years ago? And yet, for us as modern people, we've convinced ourselves that God—if we even believe that He exists—maybe He's not all that great. That's what we've convinced ourselves. And why have we done that? Well, well, I think for for at least one reason is that we've to some extent, conquered these immense places that have been mentioned here in this psalm. These places that seemed so great, humans, we've kind of, in our minds anyway, we feel like we've conquered them. But did you know that we've only explored 5% of the earth's oceans? Just think about that. One scientist said the earth's oceans are vast, not just in terms of size, but in terms of depth. The oceans make up roughly 70% of the earth's surface. The average depth of the earth's oceans is 12,100 feet. That's average, right? Average. The deepest point on earth, though, is over 35,000 feet deep. That's deeper than Mount Everest is tall. Think about that. Not even the tallest mountain on earth could reach the deepest part. Of the ocean. By size and volume, the oceans are unimaginably gigantic. And just from size alone, it's easy to see how difficult it would be to explore the entirety of Earth's oceans. But size and volume aren't the only factors. The oceans are perilous for humans. Not only are temperatures cold, but the water pressure is also strong enough to crush a person, as we sadly heard about with that Titanic trip a couple of weeks ago. Despite technological advances, humanity has only managed to examine roughly 5% of the Earth's oceans. And, and, and we've seen even less of what's beyond Earth. You know, we feel like we're these great space explorers, but think about this. We think, there's, there's debate about this, we think we've seen around 4% of the known universe. We think. And that doesn't include the other 96% of stuff out there that we don't even know what it is, and we're calling it dark matter or dark energy. And that's nothing to say of how vast the universe is. I mean, there are at least, estimates say, 100 billion galaxies, each with around 100 billion stars. Just try and wrap your mind around that for a minute. One of the best ways to wrap your mind around how great... The universe is, is to to consider what we're getting uh, from the James Webb Telescope. Anybody following that news? I'm just like totally excited every time I see new photos being released. You guys might have seen this one of the Carina Nebula, I think is what it's called. I mean, wow, God made that. Just think about that. And then Stefan's quintet, look at that. I think there's actually quintet, how many is that, five? I only see four, but I think there's five there. Five galaxies. You're looking at five entire galaxies right now. Just think about that for a moment. And God made them all. You see, friends, we are clearly ignoring reality if we think that we've conquered Earth, let alone space. And yet we somehow continue to convince ourselves that we are great and God is not. This is one creation narrative from our culture. We are great and God is not. You know, the, the late Christopher Hitchens, who was an atheist and a scientist, he wrote a book called God is Not Great. Some of you guys may have heard of this or have read it. And, and in it, he, he says more or less, and he's trying to argue against religion in general and God in specific, he says more or less that thanks to the telescope and the microscope, religion no longer offers an explanation for anything. And in a debate with Christopher Hitchens, uh, the Irish mathematician, bioethicist, and Oxford professor named John Lennox, he responded to Hitchens' claim. Here's what he says. I find it impossible as a scientist to take such a statement seriously. Remember the statement was, because of the telescope and the microscope, religion no longer offers an explanation of anything. As if using a microscope on a Rembrandt painting could disprove the existence of Rembrandt himself. The idea that God and science are mutually exclusive explains, uh, mutually exclusive explanations of the universe is as wrong as saying that internal combustion and Henry Ford are mutually exclusive explanations of the automobile. On the contrary, they are complementary explanations. One explains how it works, the other, why it exists. To think that as the reach of our instruments increases, the greatness of God the Creator is somehow diminished is to make the mistake of confusing mechanism with agency. When Newton discovered the law of gravity, he didn't say, now I know how the universe works, I don't need God. No, his wonder at how it was done increased his admiration for the creator who had done it that way. And Newton wrote the most famous scientific treatise of all time in the hope that it would persuade the thinking man to believe in God. Telescopes can show us the wonder of the night sky, but science didn't put the stars there. Nor did the laws of biology and physics they describe what is there, but God put it there. Friends, not only did God make this seemingly infinite universe, and who knows, maybe it is. Not only did he make this wonderfully vast planet, not only did he instill beauty and brilliance in humankind, but the greatness of what he has made is merely a shadow of how much greater he is as the one who made them. He is greater. He is wiser. He is more powerful than the greatest, most powerful, most wise people or things or universe or anything created that you can ever imagine, the deepest waters, the furthest galaxy. This is our creator God, and he is great. But he's more than that. God is also our great sustainer. This is the second thing that we see the psalmist teaching us, verses 10 through 23. And in verse 10, we, we kind of make a shift in the psalm. The psalm so far up until this point was recounting something that God had done in the past, which was creation, and now it makes a shift to something that God is doing in the present, which is sustaining creation. God is our great Sustainer, You see this in verse 10 as it shifts. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing, present tense, among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. I'll I'll stop there. But what, what this is drawing our attention to is to look and see God's activity all around us. Can you see it today, right now? I mean, we're in this building, of course. It would have been Probably good to make this sermon a field trip where we kind of go outside and we, we enjoy God's creation all around. It's like all this is man-made stuff in here, right? But can you see God's activity in the natural world? Do you ever stop to recognize it? You know, one reason why we don't see God's activity when we observe the natural world is from the earliest days in America's history there was a popular idea called deism. This is another one of the narratives that's counter to the one that we're given here in Psalm 104, and it's one that's still present. It kind of undergirds so many things in our culture today, this idea of deism that says basically God is like a watchmaker, that, that we can see all the things that he's made, and yeah, that's great, but, but the watchmaker doesn't just you know, hover over the watch. What does the watchmaker do? He sets it, and then he forgets it. And so in this view, God is you know, busy doing his thing up there in heaven, and he's left us down here on earth to do our thing with all the things that he's left us with. And maybe you've felt this way as you observe creation, that God's uninvolved. Maybe you've felt this way as you go through trials in life, and you think God's absent, he's, he's nowhere near. And the reason why we're able to believe the lie of deism, friends, is because it's plausible, because we can make this work in our minds. God is not physically present here with us, and so it's easy to ignore his involvement. But the psalmist is telling us God is anything but absent. He's anything from absent in this world. He's anything from absent in our lives. The psalmist is telling us Yes, all of creation is running on God's clock. But he's not just the one who set things in motion. He's the one who is keeping them in motion. He's the one who, the psalm said, is making springs flow. He's the one who's providing water for, for all the animals. He's the one who's making all the birds sing. He's the one who makes the snow <laughs> fall on the mountains and makes the grass to grow. He, it even says in verse 14 that humans may cultivate plants, But God is the one who causes them to flourish. And you see, this is an interesting paradigm for us as modern people as well because we are so focused on our part, on all the cultivating that we do that we actually lose sight of his part. The causing, the sustaining. Because God has given humanity great power, we think that we more or less have all power, that it's just a matter of time Before we conquer all things, before we achieve all things, because we cultivate, we forget that we do not cause. Some of you guys know that uh, I was born in Jerusalem, and when we moved back to the States, celebrating Jewish things, and, and even Palestinian things, Arab things we were a part of our family's life just because we enjoyed that culture, having lived in, those co- in that country, and, and we, uh, we would continue even practicing especially things that were Jewish because our faith is rooted in Judaism, right? And so, not that we were Jews, but we would celebrate Passover every year. And I remember in our family hearing these prayers over and over and over again. I could kind of they're kind of sing-songy. I almost memorized them just by the way that they sounded. And there's this prayer that's actually quite common. It's not just common during Passover. It's, it's common in a lot of the life of a faithful Jew. And it, and it goes like this. I'm going to probably butcher it. For anybody who speaks Hebrew, don't make fun of me later, okay? Here's what it says. Baruch hata Adonai Eloheinu, <speaking> melch haolam hamotzi lehem min haaretz. <Hebrew> Is that okay? I kind of did okay. Okay. Here's what it's translated as. Here's what it means. And, And you'll hear why I'm sharing this with you. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Think about that for a minute. Isn't that interesting? It credits God with bringing forth bread from the earth. We don't think of it that way, do we? We never stop to think about beyond the fact that bread comes from the store, do we? <laughs> Most of us, anyway. Maybe, maybe you're really interested in where your food comes from and you know, you know how the wheat was grown, but even then, we just think of that as being something that was done by humans. And yes, humans cultivated that, but the psalm is telling us that God is the one who brings forth bread from the earth. He is the one who causes it. Without Him... Humans couldn't do a thing. And without his blessing, seeds wouldn't grow when we try to water them. He even sustains us, though, with more than just food and water for all plants and animals. It's said in verse 23 that he gives us this gift of work and rest. You notice that. It says, man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. Until the evening. It's, It's giving us the sense that there's an ending point to his rest. God has given us work in order to empower humankind to cultivate, to protect, and to restore his creation. Praise God. That's an amazing privilege that he's given to us among all creatures. But he also gives us the gift of rest to balance out our lives and to restore us. God gives us both. And why does he do it? Because he wants us Flourish, and and more than that, he even wants us to have joy. I don't know if you caught that in verse fifteen, where it says that he gives wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The God who created all things doesn't just, you know, keep it on life support, barely surviving. No, he gives life in abundance. And that's what we see in the final point that the psalmist is making, and that is that God is our life, verses 24 through 30. And I'm just going to read a couple of these verses as well. It says, Oh Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. This word manifold, it means many, or uh, it could be translated as multifold or numerous, and, it, and just to give us a sense of how manifold God's works are, the psalmist describes how full the earth is of God's creatures in verse 25. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems, it's hearkening back to Genesis 1 language, teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great, Anybody ever watch BBC Planet Earth? Amen? Oh my gosh, I love that series. I could watch that thing all day long. In fact, I thought about just playing that series and then pausing and going, isn't God great as my sermon today? That's just... (laughs) Uh, but, But if you're like me, as we're reading these verses, you visualize a lot of that imagery from BBC's Planet Earth. As we're reading this psalm. Think about these fish, just for a minute. I got a, I got a gif from, not from that series, but that is teeming if I've ever seen teeming, right? That is manifold, God's works. And, and if you watch that series, you've seen it just, they have tons and tons of shots like this. You get this sense of how many fish there are. And and the psalm goes on to talk about how countless uh, the how countless the numbers of creatures in the ocean are, right? And it even goes on to talk about the Leviathan, which I think is probably some sort of whale. But think about this. Think about how many locusts, for example, there are on the earth. I mean, that's teeming if I've ever seen it, right? That is manifold. Or how about, uh, think about the number of herds in Africa. You guys have probably seen these kinds of images I mean, wow, there are so many, and they're pouring over this cliff in this one. They're trying to get through the watering hole, right? Think about the jungles and the numbers of, I don't have gifts for these, but the numbers of monkeys and frogs and snakes and tigers, and oh my gosh, there are just so many creatures that God has made, so much abundance of life that God has made, even in the city, we have quite a, a amazing variety of animals, right? We've got poodles, <laughs> labradoodles, golden doodles, cockapoos, schnoodles, maltipoos, I mean everything is bred with poodle now I'm pretty sure. But seriously, even as a bird nerd in our city, I love discovering species that are new to me. Emily and I were just walking in Lincoln Park a couple days ago, and I saw Cooper's hawk for the first time. I'm, I'm a big bird nerd. I love following and understanding, wow, God has made all these different creatures. How many species are there on planet Earth? Anybody know? I know we have a few scientists in this room. Some estimates are between anywhere, <laughs> there's a wide range, anywhere from 3 million to 100 million. Whatever it is, it's a lot, Right? And biologists who specialize in identifying and classifying life have actually named already about 1.7 million species so far. They add another 13,000 every single year. That's a lot of life. So much life. So much abundance. And what I want you to see is that this is showing us a glimpse of who our God is. He is so overflowing with life. These numbers that I've just read to you, it doesn't even include the animals and creatures that we haven't yet discovered, let alone life that exists on other planets, which we won't get into today. You, know, you guys are like, what? <laughs> anyway, I like, I like talking and musing about that with my friends, if there might be species of aliens out there. Who knows? Anyway. But all of the animals that are alive on planet Earth are alive because God gives them life. Did you notice that in verses 29 and 30? It said where's that oh wrong place 29 and 30 when you hide your face they're dismayed when you take away their breath they die and return to their dust when you send forth your spirit they are created and you renew the face of the ground see this word that's translated as breath in verse 29 is the same word that's translated as spirit in verse 30 what's the point the point is, is that the breath or the spirit of every living thing depends on his breath and his spirit. You and me, the life that we have, the breath that we have in our lungs, it's all dependent on God's spirit and God's breath. God is sovereign over all of life and all of death, this is telling us. And so what is the psalmist saying? He's saying God is our great creator, God is our great sustainer, and God is our life. And see, friends, the awe of this natural world leads us to awe of the one who made it. But we told you I told you at the beginning that the second question that we're going to look at is how does this psalm connect to Jesus? And this is probably my favorite part. See, the incredible mystery about all of this is that the Son of God The eternal Son of God who existed in eternity past with God the Father and God the Spirit is the Word by which God made all of these things. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. This is the Son of God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus Christ was uh, the revelation of this eternal word, the eternal Son. And so, what we see here is that the Son of God is our great creator. But more than that, the, the incredible mystery continues because the eternal Son of God is also the word by which all things are being held together. Hebrews chapter one, verse three tells us, it says, he is the radiance of the glory of God, Jesus Christ, and he is the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. The son of God is not just our great creator, he is our great sustainer. But you know, the greatest paradox of the gospel is that the eternal Son of God is the same one that Psalm 104 is talking about, the same one who is clothed with splendor and majesty, the same one who covers himself with light as a garment, the same one who stretched out the heavens as a, as a tent. This is the God who, with unbridled power, chose to lay aside his power. The eternal Word was revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ, a human being, a human life. Now, why would he do that? Why would the God who made all things step into his creation? And the answer is because of the bondage of the human condition. That same condition that we looked at earlier, the condition that that looks all around us and sees the greatness of what he has made and still has the audacity to say God is not great. That's why he came. And he came to free us from the bondage of the human condition that we talked about after that, the condition that looks at our own ability to see and understand how the designer of the universe has put things together and then chooses to ignore the designer himself. He came to reveal to us that he's not the God of the deists that we talked about earlier that winds up the universe like a clock and walks away. No, he's infinitely powerful and yet he's a God who's intimately involved. He's willing to get his hands dirty, friends. He's willing to step into the filth of humanity in order to rescue humanity from the filth of our sin. And he came to reveal to us that there is nothing, nothing that can stand in the way of his love for his creatures. All the way to the point of giving of himself to sacrifice himself for our sins on the cross. And you know, some people think that it's easy to see that there is a God in creation. It's easy to believe, yes, that there's a creator God, but they have a harder time believing in the God of redemption. See, friends, it's the same God. It's the same God. When you look at creation and you see all that generosity and hospitality creating a space for life to flourish, when you go and you look at his kindness and his care in creation, It's all just a sign pointing to the same God who is redeeming his creation. The same God who is actively at work in our life. The same God who is giving us life today. To you, to me, to everything that lives. Because he's so overflowing with life that he wants to share it. And the same is true for the new life that he offers to us in abundance through Jesus Christ today. This new life that begins today but that goes on for forever. This is how great he is. This is how powerful he is. This is how kind he is. This is how generous he is. Don't you wanna worship him? We gotta respond now, and and that's the last question we're gonna answer. How should we respond? And the answer the psalm gives us is singing. We have got to sing. It says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth in other words, let God purify the earth of everything that opposes him. Let his kingdom come. Let his will be done. And let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord. We have got to sing. We've got to follow in the footsteps of this psalmist. We've got to sing as long as we have our being. As long as we live. This is one of the ways that God frees us from that bondage of the human condition all those counter stories of creation all the ways in which our culture tries to give us a different narrative than the one that we see here in scripture God frees us from it as we sing the song psalm begins and ends bless the lord oh my soul we need to tell our souls we need to sing and remind our souls of who he is and what he's done we need to bless him, we need to praise Him. You know what's so fascinating? Up until this point in this psalm, we've seen that creation praises God in, in some sense, simply by being what He made it to be, simply by doing what He made it to do, but here at the end, we see that humanity's response to God, it's, it's not just a part of our being. Our response to God is personal. Creation may sing. We may hear birds singing in the trees, but we can actually sing to our great creator. Only on us has God bestowed the gift of getting to know him, getting to sing to him, getting to be in relationship with him. And so the awe of the natural world leads us to the awe of the one who made it and the one who is remaking it, who is redeeming it. Two reflection questions I'll give you as we close, and then we'll pray and respond. This summer, how will you enjoy God's creation? And then number two, how will you praise Him for it? Let's pray. God, You are very great. We confess as we look at the vastness of this planet and the life that You've put on it and the universe that we've barely begun to explore, we, we get a sense, just a little bit of a sense, of how great you are, God. And you are great beyond these things. And we thank you and we praise you that you have not stood outside of your creation from a distance allowing it just to work like a clock, but you have gotten your hands dirty. You have gotten invested. You are sustaining us. Jesus, you have come to redeem us. And we pray now that we would respond appropriately to you for how great you are, Jesus. Stir up our hearts and our affections for you, we pray in your name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.